Hello, I'm Neil Patel and this is Farmside Today, our second in the series of podcasts. I'm joined as always by Professor Gino Martini and today we're going to be focusing in on prevention, particularly the NHS long-term plan. Gino, do you want to tell us a little bit about the NHS long-term plan, particularly that emphasis on prevention? What does that really mean for pharmacists? Well, I think what it means is uh, if you look at the life expectancy, people living longer, what we're trying to do is to get people to live longer, healthier. So I'll give you a good example. My father passed away when he was 78. He was a very bad diabetic, couldn't control his medicines very, very well. And unfortunately had his leg amputated and within a year of that passed away. We don't want to be in our, in our arena. What we want to be is the chap that goes to my gym, call him Chaz. He's Polish, he's 94 and he does weightlifting. You know, he's not from an affluent background. Uh, when he was 13, when uh, the Germans invaded Poland, he had to walk 3,000 miles to safety, okay? But this guy looked after himself. He went to the gym, he ate properly, you know, and, and he now, now he's now living longer and healthier. That's where we need to be. We need to be moving from a casualty-based system where you fall sick you know, and you need to be treated to prevention, where a healthcare professional such as a pharmacist can actually talk to a patient and perhaps diagnose that diabetic that's been previously undiagnosed. The key for pharmacists is that we're accessible, and we are accessible. You know, we are in the high street and people can come in. We are in GP surgeries and people can come in. And give you an example of an airline pilot who was undiagnosed with diabetes for many, many years. And who spotted it? It was a pharmacist, okay? That's where we need to be. So that's my, my take on it. And I think the NHS long-term plan, even though it's a, uh, an English plan, has that emphasis. I was really pleased to see that focus on prevention, intervention, and having pharmacists as, as being key players in that. And it's possible because of advances in medicine, advances in diagnostics, more importantly, our accessibility. And Gino, fair to say, I mean, this is not a, an English problem. It's a problem across Great Britain and certainly really across the Western world, isn't it, in terms of oh, absolutely. prevention? Yeah, and absolutely. And of course, now, if you look at the what we call the developing uh, uh, markets countries, you know, like Brazil, Russia, India and China, they're now adopting uh, what we say highly westernised diets. Mm. And, they, you know, they are also suffering things like diabetes, um, uh, cardiovascular disease. So it is a worldwide problem. But for us here in the UK, I think we're now seeing a, a recognition that we need to be more active in intervening and discovering people who have, say, elevated blood sugar levels and saying, like, actually, you know what, you're pre-diabetic, maybe you should change your lifestyle, change your diet. Because what you don't know, high blood sugar levels are actually very damaging. You may not see any symptoms of it, but they're damaging the retina in your eye and your eyesight, as well as other capillaries in your body, in your feet, in your toes. And that's why diabetics have problems with, with amputation in particular. Okay. So let's talk about another area that's certainly something I've seen in the news recently, atrial fibrillation. So mm-hmm. a condition that often remains undiagnosed for, for a long time. Um, and you think, or certainly there's evidence now that pharmacists have got a, a really big role in detecting that condition as well. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, very proud to say, being a pharmacist, that pharmacists actually led a lot of the clinical trials here. So with the mobile phone, with diagnostics the way they are, there was a, a almost a handheld size ECG, a portable ECG, which pharmacists were you know, actually testing with patients in GP surgeries, and they're doing mini ECGs, and then picking out individuals with atypical profiles, and then referring them on to the GP or to consultant, and that's been very effective. It's shown quite a lot of promise, and it's been rolled out in different parts of the UK. And what does that mean for a patient? So say if they did have that abnormal rhythm, what kind of outcomes can they expect if it's detected earlier? Well, I think with all kinds of diseases, nine times out of ten, early treatment, the prognosis is always better. 
And of course, these individuals may not have known there'd been a problem, they may not have known they could have had heart failure. And so by rapid diagnostics and early detection, the prognosis will, will also be better. The other thing is I want to talk about with diabetes as well is the continuous glucose monitoring systems where now, you know, you can put a patch on your arm and basically real life data of your blood sugar is being communicated to uh, your mobile phone or to the mobile phone of your physician or your pharmacist. And I'm aware of one pharmacist in particular uh, who showed me what he was doing and he'd had on his mobile phone the blood sugar profiles of six of his patients that were coming to him to his community pharmacy. And he could tell when they were going above the, what they should be doing or if they felt unwell, they could see from the blood sugar levels what was going on. You could have that real conversation and say, okay, maybe you snacked, maybe you took something high sugar. I have to confess, coming to this interview today, I had a beautiful carrot cake <laughs> with fondant icing. So my blood sugar level is going through the roof, no doubt. But he was able to map and, and actually see what the blood glucose levels are. And something like diabetes is kind of, you could say, we saw semi-reversible by doing things like eating proper foods, reducing sugar, a bit of exercise, have a massive impact on your on your outcomes. So really exciting times. Okay, let's turn to another area where obviously pharmacists have been involved for a long time, antimicrobial resistance. But mm. now things are getting quite exciting in terms of what we can do to perhaps detect proper bacterial infections and, and make some, some better decisions about prescribing as well. Exciting, but also quite frightening. We really must stimulate research into antibiotics and to oh. new antibiotics in particular. We are running out of good antibiotics, and I know good housekeeping uh, is important, that we need to uh, not overuse antibiotics, but it shouldn't be an excuse not to discover new antibiotics and anti-infectives. That's a really important message. When I first walked into the industry nearly 25 years ago, every company had an extensive pipeline of antibiotics. Right now, there's a paucity of them, and you know we do not want to be going back due to scourging or amputation for simple infections. And I'll also say to people... A lot of people are dying due to sepsis as well. So we really need to understand it is frightening. Okay. However, what's also exciting is the fact that we as pharmacists can play an exciting role with stewardship, uh, but also by treating patients directly. So in the conversation I had a year ago with Dame Sy Davis, our, our then chief medical officer, you know, she was very keen that pharmacists could play an active role. And I support that. And there's a thing called C-reactive protein, which is a, a, like a marker for infection. And what you were saying to me, and I, I concur, is that it's a very simple blood test. It's about three minutes. And if those levels of C-reactive protein very high, about 100 mg per mil, that confirms you've got, say, a throat infection if you came into a throat infection. And what was really interesting from her point of view and, and something I shared is, well, instead of sending that patient to a GP surgery without infection and infecting everybody else, why couldn't the pharmacist prescribe and then dispense the antibiotic that patient needs in real time? And that, to me, was, was really exciting. Obviously, at low levels of C-reactive protein, you know it's not an infection, so you don't need to hand out the antibiotic. There were a couple of things. Instead of just referring them onto a GP, why can't we play a more active role? And like she said to me, and why shouldn't you be paid for doing that? Which would please many, many pharmacists. So I, I think I'm really into that. I think it's really important. Diagnostic tests like that, employed by a healthcare professional like a pharmacist, is a very powerful way of, in, uh, of intervention. So that's a good example I'd like to share with people. Okay, and another area that's in news uh, recently, obviously measles infections rising mm. across Europe and in the UK. Um, vaccination, an area that pharmacists have been 
obviously actively involved in flu vaccination, but you feel certainly a lot more that could be done there with vaccination and pharmacy. I always remember the day that one of my former students with much relish uh, jabbed me with a flu vaccine. So Professor Martin, that's for your lectures that were good, but you know, she had, she had a <laughs> smile on her face when she did it. And that opened my eyes of, of again, what we, what we can do. Vaccinations are a very important aspect of infection control. Once you drop below 95% population, particularly measles, uh, rubella and mumps, you, you have a population that's going to carry on infecting other people. And it has been very disappointing to see the numbers drop below that 95% level. And in fact, for WHO to say we're no longer a measles-free country. That's all very preventable. It's all very lamentable. And there's a lot of scaremongering that goes on. Both, both my daughters had an MMR vaccine. I have no hesitation. I think people forget the dangers of diseases such as of measles and the damage it can do. And so I feel pharmacists can play that role. I know in conversations I've had with different organisations, patients respect healthcare professionals like pharmacists and respect the NHS and respect the advice they get from these individuals. And simple conversation between a practitioner and a patient over the consultation room I don't see any reason why we couldn't play an active role in, in, in vaccinations. Absolutely. To me, it makes great sense. Thank you very much, Gina. That's been really fascinating. I think prevention has been an area that's been talked about for a long time, but it really feels through the examples you've given us, we're now actually seeing yeah. things come to fruition across a whole range of different areas, different illnesses. Can you tell us what we're going to be covering next time? I think we're going to move on to a, a different topic entirely in the next podcast. You know, obviously, as chief scientist, I, I think I said in the in initial podcast, is to keep pharmacists the forefront of medicine and innovation. However, there's also the things I need to do to help pharmacists in general, uh, how patients interact with medicines. And one of the areas of great concern for me is the use and misuse of drugs, illicit drugs such as ketamine, MDMA, legal highs or illegal highs, obviously what we do about cannabis. You know, there's a wide variety of issues out there. And again, this week is really interesting to see the data that came out where young people, and there's young boys, young girls between 13 to, to 16, 17, really interesting to see. They're not smoking as much, not drinking as much, but the consumption of things like cannabis and legal highs have increased. And that's not where we need to be. Uh, what we need to be is to try and educate uh, young people that that's not the way forward. That nitrous oxide, for example, consuming high quantities will stop you absorbing vitamin B12, will mean that your, your spinal cord will be damaged, which mean you could be paraplegic. You know, we really need to get those messages across. So hopefully I'll be talking to one of our guests and talking about and her view on what is actually going to be one of the, uh, uh, what to watch out for, what kind of advice we can have. Uh, that's Dr. Amira Gerges from the University of Swansea. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. And thank you again for your time today.